Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 194 of the show, and today we are talking with Bob Lester, and he is the president and a co-founder of DuraSeal. And Bob started out as a sealing and coating specialist and got a chance to found a company with a couple of guys he met and built that into a company of over 53 people today. They are growing quickly, and Bob's got a lot of great advice for all of us out there. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress. Let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Bob Lester joining us, and Bob is a founder of PaveBit as well as president and CEO at DuraSeal. And DuraSeal is a high-quality commercial and industrial seal coating, asphalt, and concrete services company based right here in Columbus. Founded in 2007, DuraSeal continues to grow and evolve today to bring their clients innovative solutions to their unique problems. And we're really excited to learn more about kind of what those solutions and problems encompass, Today, while talking with Bob, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Bob. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's really exciting to have you here, and it sounds like you got a couple different things going on, so it, you know, it's interesting to learn more about the industry. I mean, I'm always excited to learn about an industry I don't know too much about, so I'm going to confess right now to you that I know nothing about asphalting or sealing or any of that. 
we'll get into that a little more later. I guess typically where we like to start is talk a little bit about your life leading up to Durseal and how you got to where you are today. I mean, that could be anything from you know your previous roles or where you went to school, kind of all the things that made you who you are today. Yep. So I uh, was born in Columbus, moved to the Cleveland area, and uh, graduated high school, a little town called Perry, east of Cleveland. Thought I was going to be a big-time football player, you know, looking to go D1 and heartbroken. A little small for that. Yeah. Uh, signed to play football in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, and then um, didn't end up going to school after my senior year of high school. Moved to Columbus, uh, worked for a year, and then went to Otterbein College for business finance. And um, living the college life, and then Enron happened. And I decided I did not want to be in business finance. And um, by that time, I was already out seal coating little driveways on the side and um, doing some asphalt repair work. Um, so I kind of figured that's what we were going to do. Growing up, I had uh, a great uncle who was in the paving company, had a pit in the paving industry. And uh, I worked with him in summertime, spring break, that kind of stuff. Thought if that fool could do it, this fool could too. And uh, took a little bit of money we had saved up from uh, like high school graduation and working. And um, bought an old junkie dump truck and, and skid loader and started uh, trying to sell some jobs. So you get done with high school and your passion for football, to talk about that a little bit. We always like to get maybe a little bit deeper into the people we're talking to and philosophically and just kind of learn what kind of person they are. Did you just decide at that point that it wasn't something you want to continue to pursue anymore? Um, no, I was, you know, gung-ho. Actually, my senior year in high school, I got in trouble at home messing around with a girlfriend and uh, that my mom did not approve of. And she basically said she wasn't going to help me. I had, like, three-quarter scholarship to Edinburgh. She wasn't going to sign any loan papers or anything. So I moved the day after graduation to Columbus. Didn't play football. I right? had a huge chip on my shoulder. Right? I was above Division three football. And um, still working out in the weight room. Coaches finally got hold of me, cornered me. And I started in week six, joined the team, and joined the team on like a Tuesday and played Saturday in the game. And it was just different. Like, a lot of people didn't love it. I still wanted to love it, but it was just different than what I was used to. And uh, I didn't know why a lot of guys were on the team. If they didn't love it, they weren't getting incentivized you know, to be there. And you studied finance throughout your time at Audubon, is that right? Yeah. So about, I was there for three years actively in class for about two and a half before I figured it wasn't, wasn't what I wanted. Then, and then you walk away, and is your, is your passion entrepreneurship? Like, I mean, you know, a lot of competitive people that we find that we have on the podcast that are entrepreneurs, they, they need a way to channel that energy to be the best at something, or, you know, they want to, they, they don't want to be average. Like, anything like that, that kind of pursuit uh, Absolutely, I mean every day like it keeps me awake at night like what's going on what can we do better i get uncomfortable when i don't have those thoughts so we're always pushing to see what we can do better so maybe share with us a little bit about you know you you had an uncle you know you said did some paving and Mm kind of got you into that but you just started out just doing it right so you buy that truck you buy the you know the skid what is that like i mean you know so talk us through just the, the whole process of First starting out, learning how to do this, and then learning how to sell it. So in the beginning, when I worked with my great uncle, it was a matter of learning how to perform the work. And then I was just always inquisitive to him of like, hey, how do we 
figure out how much material we need for this job or how do we price this. So if a neighbor walked up and said, hey, you know, can I get a price on my driveway? I would walk next door with him, help him measure the driveway, and then we'd sit in the truck and figure out how much it would cost and gave him a, a proposal. And I like that. Like, that's winning, like instant gratification. Like if you can sell a job as they see you do another job. And it uh, just kind of went from there, you know, did some uh, door hanger flyers until the post guy called and said, you can't stick on people's mailboxes. You know, then we started mailing them out. That was in the early 2000s and you know, just hustled, tried to always find work for the next week. Yeah, so you're going through and I mean, you're hanging flyers on people's doors, you're doing everything you can. Did you get some early traction for that? Or was there ever a point of struggle early on where you're like, man, I don't know if this is gonna work? Uh, there was struggle always early on. I mean, like, I didn't know how to run a business. You know, it's like if you had more money in your pocket at the end of the week than you did in the beginning of the week, it was a good week. But um, didn't know anything about payroll or the proper way to pay employees. And, you know, I knew it wasn't cash in an envelope, you know, so things changed, things had to change. In probably 2005, I quit working for myself, went to work for another paving company in town, and that lasted like three months. And I figured, figured out that they had the same issues I had, just at a different level. Right? Their equipment broke down, um, their jobs fell through, so I gave another run at it. Mm -hmm. And um, then had an opportunity to uh, get involved in Duraseal. So, like, you know a craft, and you, and you know how to monetize it, and you know how to, you know, get more people around you and hire and, and get them to keep doing it, but the aspects of running a business that you talked about in terms of uh, the intricacies of payroll or maybe it's uh, creating management structures or any of those attributes that maybe um, from the outside you really don't figure out unless you start doing it, like, how did you figure those out as time went on, and did you have any struggles that you had to overcome? You mentioned a little bit of it, but... Anything in particular? Um, the financing of just the company in general. So early on, we were just making money and reinvesting the money we had, but getting involved with banks and financing. Banks are really good when you don't need money, but when you do need the money, it's harder to deal with them. And we're just trying to always stay one step ahead of your next needs, all the way from having a business checking account, right, seems simple, but then when you're going all the way to audited financials, you know, which is where we're at now, and CFO and that kind of stuff. What does it look like? I mean, I think some people, too, if you've never uh, started a business or been a part of a, a smaller business that's growing, like, the idea of working capital and understanding the finances on the back, out, back end might be a little bit um, kind of complicated, because some people do just think, like, oh, I'll just make money, and I'll use that money to keep making more money, but... At some point, working capital becomes a really real thing, especially in uh, capital expenditure intensive business. So sure. at what point did you guys kind of realize that and how did it hit you? Probably five years ago, we had an operating line of credit for, I don't know, $150,000 or something. And we wanted to grow the company, but we knew that we would need more money. The bank wasn't loving that idea, right? And so we ended up starting what we call internally an asset management account. So at that time, every month we would, when we paid our bills, we would put a couple extra bucks into the stock market. 
and then once that got comfortable, we would up that amount. So four or five years later, you know, we have a good nest egg of of operating capital, and we call it our rainy day fund. But we can also leverage that against our line of credit. You know, our financials look way better than they ever would if we wouldn't have started investing in ourselves. And it's all because those capital expenditures come before the growth can occur, correct? Yeah. So and then. So that's just kind of on the operating side. And then we couldn't make enough money fast enough as we went from seal coating into asphalt paving, concrete. Um, you got to start buying more expensive trucks and equipment. So then we were able to secure a capital expenditures line of credit you know, every year. And that's grown. I mean, we probably have, we'll have $2 million in CapEx expense this year. But we're in like super growth mode you know so you said that you had a chance to join Duraseal and be a part of that founding of that company so how did that opportunity come up were there other people involved like what what did that look like yeah so when I went to work for the other paving company I met a guy it happened to be uh, Brandon Reed who was one of the founding members of uh, the company it was actually BNB ceiling and that's still how we're organized as an LLC the trade name of Duraseal. But before he started the company, we were crewmates. He was a roller operator, I was a laborer. I was asking him all the time, hey, why don't we uh, try to get some of some small work from your uncle who owned the company? Let's do some driveway seal coating or something that we could do on the weekends. You know, I ended up leaving before that season was over um, at that paving company. And uh, that winter, he called me and said, hey, you know, let's talk about seal coating. I'm thinking about starting a seal coating company with a uh, childhood friend of mine, but I like to you know pick your brain on what you what you know. So I helped them for the first year, kind of as a third wheel. Say, hey guys, you know you got it from here. You know, good luck. After their first year, I had an opportunity to buy out uh, Ben, who was Brandon's original partner. So wrote up a little agreement and uh, gave him a thousand dollars, and told him that we would continue paying the SBA loan that was on his name and Brandon's name. That's how that transition took place. Mm -hmm. Hey there, Conquerors. We're gonna take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors here on the show. Studio 301. Mike and I, we've been working with Studio 301 on our rebrand, doing our website, doing some new photography, working on some logo adjustments, and just really positioning Conquer in Columbus uh, in a more professional light. And I can tell you, Mike, it's been the funnest experience and the easiest experience I've ever had working with any type of creative agency. They come to the table with all kinds of awesome ideas that we're really excited about and everything that we've come up with so far and that we're about to put out is is awesome. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I've, I haven't been more excited about pretty much anything since we've done the podcast. Like, I really enjoy talking to all our guests, but this rebrand is just painted in a whole new light. And, you know, Kyle and his team have been a pleasure to work with. They've gone out of their way to go above and beyond to make this thing really special. So I think we're really excited to release this rebrand to everybody out there listening, and uh, I hope you guys love it as much as we do. And one of the best things is the rebrand not only positions Conquering Columbus as a whole, but all of our guests in more of a uh, professional and clean and formalized look that you know they deserve. We have super, super high quality, amazing people on here, and I think that this is going to represent them really well, so it's been great. So thanks again to Studio 301. Yeah, if you guys want to learn more about Studio 301, go check out the links down in the show notes. Help support Kyle and local teams here in Columbus. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the interview. And so you kind of 
dive in there and uh, how many people are like are working in that team at that point is it just the, the three of you still um so it was the three of us kind of that first summer as they were figuring things out and then like i said i kind of was felt like i was the third wheel and you know didn't see much of a future uh at that point um and they would have some weekend labor that they would bring in you know other childhood friends or you know college kids or whatever that they knew and um it kind of got started and when i after i bought out ben i think we had probably two employees and year two of the company which was my first year as being a, a partner and then how have things evolved since then oh uh so we've moved we started off uh in three parking stalls or they started off had three parking stalls that they parked their trucks in and someone else's little fenced in area every day they had to unhook their truck from their trailer to park them in the stall so that people can get by when i got involved year two we uh rented a little fenced in the yard and had a connex storage box like a storage shed that we put our stuff in we moved shops probably two more times after that you know each time the yard got bigger you know buy an extra truck extra piece of equipment and um, now we're 53 people strong, working on a 12-acre development for new office and yard space. And as that's changed over time, obviously your role has changed a bit, right? Today you're president. And, and as those things have progressed, what have been some of the biggest kind of milestones for you? And how has your role changed with the team? Like, what are the things that you went through that, like, hey, I, I had to learn XYZ to continue to grow or you know the things that you really take back and say hey you know as this team has grown I really had to figure out this particular subject or there's something that came up along the way that that left an impact on you yeah so in the beginning I would my background was more on residential asphalt paving driveways and seal coating driveways and B&B sealing Duraseal's structure was more commercial seal coating so there was equipment that i've never seen before a self-propelled squeegee machine it's like a zamboni that puts down seal coat in parking lots so i had to learn that equipment uh had to learn the capabilities uh, how to push that equipment to its limits and also what it did to the how we bid projects in the beginning i remember residential seal coating like a dollar a square yard was like an easy number and we were seal coating for 45 cents a square yard. You know, and I'm like, oh, there's no way. Like, you can't even buy the material, you know, for that cost as a small driveway guy. But as you buy, you know, tanker loads of seal coat, you can, you know, drive down your cost and, and production goes up. And, and just understanding that just because you have a unit cost stuck in your head, you know, doesn't mean that that's what you have to charge if you can find a different way to produce the work. And we're always working on what can we do to be better? Like, what can we do to set up our trucks a little bit different uh, to save 15 minutes a day, which is gonna save $100,000 a year in operational costs. At what point in the business did you finally hit uh, a level, or, or maybe you haven't hit it yet, I'm assuming you, you probably have, whether you're describing things, but where you knew like, this is sustainable. We're going to continue to have a, a strong operating business for a long time, and, and we got something rolling. So I remember vividly sitting on the side of a truck, dog tired, 11 o'clock at night, 
talking to uh, my partner Brandon, daydreaming like, man, won't it be great someday if we could ever make a hundred grand a year and not have to work in the field? And about five years ago, we got to that point, and things change. So, hundred grand a year is great. Like, I have a wife and six kids, and that's enough money to sustain our family, right? But now it's just a scorecard. So we don't need more money to sustain our life, but we want to grow the company. We want to provide good jobs for our employees. We want to return money to the shareholders, that kind of thing. At what point, so how many years were you working in the field up until you could stop? In the field? So probably three or four years. Um, I kind of got out of the field a little bit quicker than Brandon did. So as the company grew, we split into, into kind of two crews. He ran a crew, I ran a crew. Once we got somebody trained up enough and had enough work, I got out of the field probably a half a day or half, a, half the day every day to go run estimates and, and work on the business. And um, then once we got kind of a, a second crew leader up and going, Brandon also did that. And we've been building our personal clientele base since then so I'd say four years before I was able to be out of the field and Brandon was probably year five a huge milestone was when we were able to hire a full-time office staff office manager if you will who took a lot of the burden off Brandon entering receipts and sending invoices because he would, would go home in the evening and do that stuff and then he was able to work on selling at that point so when you look back on that, what did what did both uh, you and Brandon's hours and day-to-day look like? I mean, what seems like now might from the outside look like a, an overnight multi-million dollar success business obviously took a lot of a lot of hard work and a lot of grinding leading up to them. Was it Monday through Sunday, 18 hours a day? Like Yeah, it was seven days a week in the summertime, uh, 5 o'clock in the morning till 10, 11 at night. More than once I've fallen asleep in the drive-thru right, trying to get dinner on the way home at 10 o'clock at night. Go home, barely shower, hop in bed, and get up before anyone else does in your house, and leave again. Uh, we were fortunate at the time. Uh, Brandon's wife was a nurse. Uh, my wife was a nurse. So they had some steady money coming in. You know, we, we worked for years you know, below market wages just to make sure the company had enough money to, to go forward. And what does your day-to-day look like now? So now I have a solid operations team that handles getting the crew started and um, uh, a sales staff that goes out and helps sell the work. So usually by 6.15, 6.30, a couple phone calls to make sure everything's going, nothing changed. What do you guys need? You know, I ask my operations manager, hey, what, what can I do for you uh, to help you? And usually it's nothing, you know, everything's going fine. Or at times I feel like they make things up just so I uh, feel, feel important. Get into the office, you know, around 7, 7.30 and start working on new deals. Whether that's, you know, trying to open up um, new clients in the Columbus market or we're looking currently at some acquisitions. So working on those, working on the financials, working with our CFO. And then, you know, taking off at 4.30, 5.30, 6.30. just depends on what's going on for the day. 
what do the goals look like for the future, both for you from a personal standpoint and a professional standpoint? So over the next seven years, we'd like to be involved in seven acquisitions of other paving companies, primarily in the maintenance space, which is asphalt patching, resurfacing, seal coating, line striping. Any particular reason why you're focused on that space? That's, that's where we cut our teeth. It, we feel it's a little recession proof. Right, so when thing, times are good, people are taking good care of their stuff. When times are bad, they're not having the capital expenditures on redoing their parking lots, but they're trying to take care of their stuff. You know, fix, put band-aids on things that should be, you know, totally replaced. So, you know, we keep saying we don't want to become a big paver. You know, it's really capital intensive. This year we've made some big capital improvements, but to really play with the bigger guys, it's it's big time money. And we're not there yet. I don't know if we want to be there. I'd rather go to a different market and do what we've been doing here. So we're looking at Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis right now. Any other goals outside of those besides acquisitions? Well, we're gonna to continue to grow here in this market. You know, I'm active investor in real estate. I have a passion for that also. Um, so a couple development deals here in town would be pretty cool. Okay, and you've also got, so talked a little bit about PaveBid earlier. Can you tell us a little more about that project? Yeah, so PaveBid is a set up to be a software as a service mapping bidding application for uh, asphalt, concrete, seal coating industry. It's something that we started working on probably five years ago and it was my first dive into like technology and I realized how different technology space is because I can't get out there and help you know push the project along further so worked on that for a while and um, over the last year it's kind of been put on the shelf while I work on bought out my partner Brandon this past year so while we're putting that deal together, kind of tap the brakes on paved bid. Well, you know, I think, Bob, that's kind of a good place to pivot towards one of our last questions of the show. It, it's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and uh, I think it might resonate with you, but it's live uncomfortably. Uh, and without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, you know, what do you think of when you hear live uncomfortably, and, and how does it apply to your life and career? Well... Living uncomfortably, you know, could mean several things, right? But uh, when we talk about it business-wise, it's, it's thinking of what you can do differently to be better. I like comfort, but if you live comfortably all the time, you're going to be stagnant, I feel. If there's not something pushing you further that you want to keep working on, you're not, you won't grow as a person or as a company. So it's okay to be uncomfortable, for sure. You know, I've done some Sandler sales training, and one of the sayings is, I'm okay with you not being okay, you know, in the sales process. You know, if you're iffy about a budget, I'm okay with you not understanding or not having the budget to solve your problem, right? That's part of the pain funnel, and you, you work your way through it. So I like living uncomfortably, as comfortable as possible. 
Right. As comfortably uncomfortable as possible. Sure. Uh, well, Bob, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story here on the show. You got any last words for the people of Columbus? Keep grinding. You know, if you have a passion to, to do something, there's no reason you can't. To me, business is like a sandwich. The meat's in the middle. You know, so if you can make the deal, uh, that's where the money's at. And if you're the deal maker, you know, if you lose everything, I would think you can do it again. You know, and faster and better. So that's good advice. Where that's where we're at right now. Right on. Well, Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Really, again, really appreciate you taking the time to talk and share your story. Yep. Guys, and, appreciate it. Yep. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. That was Bob Lester with Duraseal. If you guys want to learn more about them and their team, check out the links down in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.